if it's too much of one thing, then it becomes limiting. And there's plenty of space for everyone. And we just need to create the space. So I think what you're doing is great because you're creating a space for people to talk about this. And if there was nothing like that, it would be, you know, just sort of an empty void. So I think it is important. We should just be talking about everything, you know, so long as it doesn't become like where we get stuck in a loop. I think it's important to identify that there are still minorities that don't have the privileges and advantages that the majority does. And that's important to recognize. But it's also important to make sure that any minority isn't stamped with the scarlet letter that you're a minority and you you know, you're like second tier and you'll always be that way. You know, it's like all the different waves of feminist thought. I think it's important and whatever the next one is, I think it'll be just as important as the last. And, you know, no one has to believe one thing. That was Caroline Rose. And this is Shiro's a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, She Rose Radio. She Rose is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. About nine months ago, the singer, songwriter, producer, and musician Caroline Rose released their brilliant third studio album, The Art of Forgetting, and joined us here on Shiro's to talk about how the album came to be. If you were with us last year when we first aired that interview, you may recall that Caroline wrote these songs as if no one would hear them. The unintentional result became their most personal and exceptional album to date, a piece of art that simultaneously embodied and explored the Art of Letting Go. The album was released to critical acclaim, praised by the likes of NPR, Rolling Stone, The New York Times, and Under the Radar. The latter two put it on their year-end best of lists. In early November, The Art of Forgetting was nominated for a Grammy in the Best Recording Package category. Now, this is an extra huge deal because Caroline Rose was the creative director and visionary behind the packaging design and set build for the photography and curated a talented group of women to execute their vision. And Caroline announced their upcoming 2024 tour, their biggest yet. And for the first time, Caroline's songs are being transcribed for orchestral performance. And for three of the shows, Caroline and their band will be joined by the amazing Metropolis Ensemble, including an unprecedented headline show at Brooklyn Steel. So to celebrate all of this, the big upcoming tour and Caroline's Grammy nomination, we've got an encore presentation of their Shiro's interview for you this week. And I've got 10 pairs of tickets to give away to see Caroline Rose in the city of your choice at venues across the U.S. To enter, call toll-free at 833-MY-SHIRO. That's 833-MY-SHIRO before Friday, January 12th. Tell us what city you want to go see Caroline Rose in. Tour dates are listed at carolinerosemusic.com and in 
include Los Angeles, Santa Cruz, Austin, Minneapolis, Cleveland, Madison, Wisconsin, Denver, Boulder, and a whole lot more. I'll draw 10 winners at random on January 15th. And now, our encore presentation of Caroline Rose as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Caroline Rose is here with us on Shiro's Radio. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on your new album, The Art of Forgetting. This is your fifth, which is crazy. I just realized looking through your discography that it's been, well, last year was 10 years from America Religious. You know, a lot of people, like when they figure out what they want their sound to be, they'll change their band name or like come up with a new iteration. And, you know, I never did that because it's my name, but those older records, it might as well be a different band name. They're so different to me. I love them too, because I think that they're big stepping stones for me, but I don't really even consider them records. (laughs) I consider this my third record, honestly. Yeah. My question was going to be, basically you just answered it. Like, (laughs) what do you think about your evolution and where you are now sonically versus where you were in the beginning? And people who may not know you, as you just pointed out from those early couple records, may not even know your Americana past. Yeah, no, I mean, it's such a distant memory for me now. But you know what? I'll always love that music. I think there's just something about a folk song or a country song or, you know, I love like cow punk. I love all of it. I think it's so cool. And I still love the feeling of just sitting down with a guitar or a piano and you can write a whole song and it sounds full just with you. And that was kind of where I started. So it was just a natural progression for me, a natural entry point into the world of making music, because I think a big part of my family history really is kind of steeped in that style of music and the storytelling. And uh, it just was a natural segue for me. I think at a certain point, though, I just wanted to try more. Like, I I love all the old Americana songwriters, John Prine. I can kind of consider Tom Waits sort of in that world. It's like theatrical Americana, Mm -hmm. kind of. I started doing that, and then I just kept imagining these little worlds that I could create from the production and the videos and the aesthetics. And it felt more like making movies to me. And it still inspires me, this idea that you can create a little world with production and all these elements. It's like more crayons in your little coloring book. One of the reasons I brought up your evolution from the beginning is I understand that there was something about writing these songs that brought you back to how it was for you when you were first starting to write. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was kind of like a happy accident for me. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I think what I'm describing is ambition, I guess. And it's like, oh, why settle with this when you can have this much more and make it even more interesting? But there is a sort of limit to that because at a certain point it can drive you a little crazy. Yeah. And it was definitely starting to drive me crazy. I'm the type of person that I can get so excited about things because I'm genuinely excited. Like I'm genuinely passionate about making stuff and it's so fun. But I'm also a person that does not have a solid understanding of my own limits. And I'm getting better at it. I'm much better at it now than I was even like a few years ago. But at a certain point, it all just became too much. And then the pandemic like just cut the head right off of everything that I was very ambitiously trying to achieve. 
And it was a big wake up call for me because I guess when everything was taken away, it made me realize how little I had fostered a relationship with the pure elements of creating and having, you know, a more simple life, just filling my own personal bucket. And one of the things that helps me fill my bucket is just sitting down and writing a song for no reason, just sitting down and being still and noodling on the guitar. It's like there's a a pleasure in that that can only come with having time and creating time to do it and not busying yourself. So I do think that is something that happens when you're younger, when you don't have as many responsibilities and things in your plate. And it really reminded me of that time. And like I said, it was a wake up call because now I'm like, oh, I really need that. And uh, I think my art is better because of it, arguably. Like it's my songs are better when I, I guess when I'm just trying less and I'm happier when I'm trying a little less. Like you can still have both. You can still have a vision. But when you're so focused on the end goal, it's hard to just enjoy the process. So well said. One of the things that really struck me when you were talking was about being still. And part of why it was so hard, honestly, was we got in touch with things that we could avoid by being so busy. And the stillness gave us this opportunity to excavate, to go deeper, have things come up and address them in real time. Talking to so many artists about what the pandemic years have meant for them creatively and their songwriting and their craft. And I just keep hearing over and over again this theme of slowing down and what that gave everyone kind of permission to do. Yeah, to me, I think it's sort of like an old parable where you hear these parables told many, many times, like money can't buy you happiness. You know, they've become so ingrained in us that they've lost all meaning whatsoever. It's like seeing a bumper sticker at this point. They like mean nothing until you experience it. And then it's like ingrained in you. And I think that's what happened to a lot of people. You know, musicians, we all understand what it felt like because we all lost our jobs. But I think anybody who lost their work and was still able to survive, like I think that is also a huge part of it. Like you had to have had help to survive in order to receive any sort of benefit from the time. But anyone who did benefit from the time will probably have felt that same thing. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, wow, there's a huge silver lining to such a huge tragedy, which I'm still scratching my head that like no one seems to be talking about. I'm Mm. like this global trauma that just occurred. (laughs) It's so bizarre to me. I don't understand human life at all. (laughs) I feel like these huge experiences are taking place and it's like no one is talking about it. It's so bizarre to me. I think we're all delusional. Um, But I don't know. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, whoa, is this real life that's happening right now? You know, I I, know, I I have no answers for you. I wish you did because I've been having the same thoughts. I mean... I can't really speak for anybody else, but I do think that part of it is people need a routine. And Mm. when the routine is thrown off, it like really disrupts our mental behavior. And we're so accustomed to having these routines that (laughs) it's like we'll deny the basic facts. This is something I think about a lot. Have you seen my album art? Yeah. (laughs) With the flames and everything. For anybody listening, it's I'm sitting in what is a recreation of my living room. And that's like my special corner in my house where I like meditate and I drink my coffee and think about stuff and I watch the birds. And it's 
recreated in this image, but completely on fire. And I'm sitting there blindfolded, just like drinking a glass of wine, like smoking a cigarette. I don't even smoke, but I thought it would be funny just seeing a person smoking in like a burning room. I find it funny. I don't know. But somebody sent me this meme. Apparently, this was like a really popular meme of like a dog having a cup of coffee in a burning room. And I'm like, that's it. That's it. That's what we're all doing. (laughs) Like, we're all just sitting, drinking our cup of coffee in a burning room. Like, this is totally fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's complete denial. I think this ties in well with the title of your album, The Art of Forgetting. It totally does. Yeah. That was unplanned on our part, too. We just segued right into that. I know. That very naturally just segued. That's the best. Can you help our listeners understand how one thing ties to the next and how that album art ties with the overall theme of The Art of Forgetting? Yeah, so kind of around the beginning of this time, this whole time that I'm describing, I sort of make it out to be like, oh, this was such a delightful time in my life. It was like really difficult because I think the time was really needed for me and that it allowed me to do a deep dive into my own brain and my own heart and heart and body. But all of these like really difficult things just kind of happened at the same time. Like I went through a breakup that was really, uh, it's so cheesy to talk about this because I'm I'm really like beyond it now, but I have done made a record about it and I have to keep talking about it. But yeah, it was a relationship that really meant a lot to me and it still does. I think it just changed me in a lot of ways, the growing pains of life. And then, you know, I put out an album March 6th, 2020, (laughs) and we had just started touring it. It was really stressful making the thing, you know, making the music of it is always the fun part, but it's like everything else is really difficult. And we had just started touring. It was finally coming together. (sighs) And then everything just got its like head completely cut off. It was my first, you know, pretty much like sold out tour. And I was like, wow, finally, this is all the hard work is paying off. And then, yeah, you know, life happens like that. And it was difficult. At the same time, I was kind of relieved from the stress, but I was like, well, all of that work, what was it for? And it was a big question for me because I was like, I've put all of my energy into this one bucket of like getting this off the ground and wearing so many hats in the making of the thing and the release of the thing. And I had pretty much nothing left over for myself. I don't think I had done enough filling of my own personal bucket. And that was really hard for me. And then the loneliness compounded. I'm sure there were more things. My mind is like, I don't think about that time. (laughs) It's like, ow, ow. (laughs) But yeah, so that was the beginning of it. And at that point, I was so dejected and defeated and also realizing how much I needed to just learn how to love myself again. I really lost how to do that. and. I was like, I don't give a shit about my career. At this moment in time, like, I'll just quit. Like, if it's making me this unhappy, like, I'll just quit. And then I was just like, okay, if that's how it's going to go, that's how it's going to go. And this whole time, you know, I'm just, I had moved out of my house and moving into my sound engineer's extra room in his house and just sat in this little room that wasn't mine. I brought some things of my own to just make it feel more homey. And I was so depressed. The only thing that could get me out of bed 
was I put a little espresso machine right next to my pillow. So when I woke up in the morning, I would just like press start and have like a fresh pod in there at the end of the day. And then in the morning, I'd just make an espresso and it would give me enough juice to like sit up and I would noodle on the guitar like all day. <laughs> and then read and I also did a lot of acid because <laughs> I had a lot of time and I was like well if I'm gonna do a deep dive into my own psyche might as well go as deep as I can and wow. I just wrote about the whole thing so all of this it was sort of and very natural and after about like a year and a half I was like well I have so many songs now and I had kind of gotten to a much better place so like all of this hard stuff had gotten me to a place where I was like oh I know who I am again. And then the album, it, it just appeared. It was like, wow, I just documented a whole story, like a whole time in my life that was actually very beautiful and painful, but necessary. And yeah, here we are. And here we are. <laughs> wow. There's like so much in there that I want to talk about, but I would love to get to a song. Is there a song that you can point to that was like, and this was the thing that kicked it off? The first track, Love Lover Friend, that song came out very fast and I knew it was going to be the first track. I just knew it. I knew what it needed to sound like. It was very fast in every way. And I tracked a bunch of things on it and then my friends did the string arrangement. And that's pretty much what you hear is like the original demo with strings on it. That's what kind of kicked the whole thing off. Caroline Rose is here with us on She Rose Radio. The new album is called The Art of Forgetting, and that kicks off the entire thing. 14 tracks in all. There are interludes of your Mima, your grandma, that are like so sweet between songs that just made my heart explode. And I read somewhere, maybe it was in your press release, that your grandma was starting to lose her memory simultaneously while you were doing a deep dive into your own memories. And I thought that was such an interesting juxtaposition I wanted to explore with you a little bit. Yeah. You know, the title there's different meanings. I got a little off track telling you about my whole life story, but initially the art of forgetting, it was a little bit darker than what it ended up being at the end of the album making process. But what it ended up being was this theme of memory. It just kept resurfacing in my life. And, you know, my grandma would call me and she called me pretty much every day. And a lot of the times if I wasn't able to pick up, she would leave me these voicemails and each one would almost be exactly the same. But over time, you know, I collected like years worth of these wow. voicemails. And I always thought they were so interesting because you could hear what type of mood she was in that day, if she was anxious or afraid, or if she was really tired. And over time, she would start to trail off. You could hear her losing her memory, like the more you listen through these years of these messages that she would leave me. Wow. So you know, I'm like experiencing her at the end of her life. And I'm also simultaneously going through this really difficult process where I'm basically trying to get over this person that I really loved. 
but my memories would haunt me. I mean, it was just kind of seeing these patterns of the way that you can utilize your memory as a tool, but it's also ingrained in life and death. So we can't really escape our memories, even though sometimes we want to or sometimes we don't want to. And I just found it so moving. I also, my grandma has since passed away. She just passed away re- very recently. Oh, and I'm so now sorry. when I, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm like already tearing up because she was kind of the rock in our family. And it, I mean, she was really old, but. How old was she? 102. <gasps> Just Whoa. crazy. She's old as time. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. an amazingly long life. I know. She's old as as dirt, but she also one of those people that was just such a force of life that even though she was so old when she passed away, it was like a supernova went out. I mean, mm-hmm. well, I guess a supernova is an exploding star, so it's already like going out. Anyway, you get the point. And it was like, whoa, (laughs) like a ripple in the universe is like, wow, she's finally gone. Like it really happened. And I guess when you had just such a force of life, it's like the energy has to be expelled somehow and it goes back into the universe or whatever. It'll never be a, I don't know, I guess like no matter what happens, you can't really prepare yourself for grief at all. Anyway, all this to say, those interludes really hit different now. You know, I hear him now and I'm like, oh, wow, she was really there for me during such a hard time. And I don't know, I just always appreciate her. Yeah. Man, that is, I mean, I'm tearing up, actually. <laughs> That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. And again, I'm so sorry for your losses. Uh, which side of the family? Your mom's or your dad's? In my dad's side, yeah. Okay. All the women in my family are from the South and my grandma's from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. You could hear it in her voice that she has a southern accent. Caroline, I just want to talk to you. I've been thinking about you all day, and I thought about you yesterday. So I want to talk to you, honey. You give me a call if you have, if you have a chance. I love you. Bye. Aww. And also in one of these songs, your mom is saying, like, me and your dad are in our final stage of life. Stop talking about wanting to die. Yeah. And that's present there, too. Just for a moment, thinking about mortality. You're at one stage, your parents are another stage, and then your grandma at the end. Yeah. You know, there are always these interesting juxtapositions in life. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was kind of going through all these interesting situations, I guess, because without going into too much detail, but like part of the reason why this relationship that didn't work out hurt so much was I felt like my sensitivity was, I was treating it like a weakness. And, Mm. and then all of a sudden I was like, wait, no, my sensitivity is one of the reasons why I'm an artist. And I don't know, I can reach people with it. And so I was feeling this like push and pull of like, am I too sensitive? And then I'm like, no, I'm great being sensitive. And then this idea of like being so depressed and not really knowing how to go on and just live and just be content. And then my parents, like, we're all such a close family. So we talk a lot. And my mom kind of setting me straight. And then my grandma dying, like she's dying. And I'm, I'm still young. I'm I'm really at the beginning of my life, if you want to assume that, you know, we live a long time, but... Uh, you never know, you know, yeah. You never know, yeah. It's just kind of interesting how one day you can feel so full and so grateful, and then ne- the next day it's like so hard to find 
the light. And I don't know why that is. I guess maybe it's just because I'm sensitive. <laughs> I think it's just because you're human, you know? Yeah, yeah, human. And the thing about memories, we were talking about memories, is we get stuck in our memories too. There's that feedback loop that we get stuck in. Mm, and classic. there's something about, you know, the art of letting go that's part of this too. The song cycle that you so beautifully put together on the art of forgetting that by the end of the album, it ends with this question of like, where do I go from here? But there's hope. Yeah. And I, I think it's a hopeful end. A lot of people have reached out and they're like, I'm so sad. And I'm like, but it, it's hopeful to me because... I think like a lot of times we do go through these moments where it's like, how do I go on? Can someone give me a handbook of life, of yeah. like how to do this shit? Yeah. And so, sometimes I really, I'm like, wow, please someone help me. Like, is there an answer? Because I would l love to know. And there isn't really an answer other than like, you just got to keep going and just try and have your eyes open. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's such a big basic idea. But when you're in the throes of personal turmoil, you don't see what's really obvious. And to me, it was like just getting back to point zero, like just getting back to being on planet Earth. That's to me where the album ends up. It's like just back in being able to put my pants and shoes on. And I'm curious to know what the next chapter would be. <laughs> probably just as much as anybody else but definitely you know. and the track just before that Jill says is about somebody who helped you on your healing journey your therapist right <laughs> yeah yeah that's my actual therapist Jill there's a lot of moments on this album that I've just pulled straight out of an actual conversation is that, that new for yeah. you um kind of yes and no this is definitely the first time I've been this personal and that's probably largely because I wasn't thinking about an audience when I was making it. I was really just doing it for myself. And I didn't have any plans to put it out when I was making it. I was like, I don't have to put this out. I don't have to have a career in music. Like I can do something else. I'll figure it out. And so I think it really ended up being personal because it was sort of journaling in a way. I was like chronicling all these things that were happening in real time. But now you have to go out there and, well, actually, we're we're all going to be listening to your journal and you're going to be performing your journal. Yeah. So that's a whole interesting aspect to this, too. I know. For better or worse, I've done this now and <laughs> I've just shared it with everyone. And uh, time will tell whether that was a huge mistake or not. I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe we should play a little clip here of Jill Says. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything you want to tell us about the song before we go into it? It's sort of inspired by Bill Evans' Spartacus Love theme, which is often one of my favorite albums, Conversations with Myself. I think Bill Evans is just one of the greats. He used to play in Miles Davis's band. I mean, just an all-around cool guy. And I relate to him as well because he's kind of like a loner, weirdo type. And this album was kind of controversial because he overdubbed his piano parts. I think there's three different piano parts, if I remember correctly. But I just thought it was so beautiful how it turned out. And originally it was just going to be three pianos. But my friend Tall Cats and Sammy Weisberg, they were the ones who did the string arrangements on the album. This song and Love Lover Friend. And again, it was like my demo with strings on it. And I think it turned out pretty nice. It's supposed to be a little bit like lo-fi meets hi-fi. We'll see if I nailed that or not. Thank you. 
here with us on Shiro's. The new album is called The Art of Forgetting, and that's Jill Says, or Caroline's therapist, Jill. In your past albums, you definitely addressed feminist themes, misogyny, capitalism, and I really wanted to dive in with you on those issues in music and what your journey's been like and any thoughts that you have about where we are now. Let's see, what can I say so some lighthearted pop themes, misogyny and capitalism, you know, it's a complicated thing to talk about because on the one hand, it's still obviously prevalent. It's still like a thing that we need to address. But on the other hand, I'm like, I've actually been talking about this so long that I'm like, have I actually just pigeonholed myself? Like, have I just stamped female artists all over my forehead? Like, I think there's a certain point where it's like important to talk about, but at the end of the day, the best thing that you could do is just make stuff and make good quality stuff. Yeah. And, you know, that, that to me is sort of like the Dolly Parton method. Like, you don't have to label it with anything. You just go out and you kill. Like, you go out and you crush it. Yeah. Or as my friend says, she was like, why do we have to use such violent terms like when things are going well? Like, we've nurtured it. We've yeah. nurtured it into existence. I love that idea. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're not killing anything. We're actually just nurturing it into existence. But I just like that idea, you know. It's such a weight to bear where it's like... It you, is. If you're making something, it's all of a sudden you're now representing every other person in your, you know, identity category and Absolutely. Yeah. And as queer folk, too. And I know that your pronouns are they, them. And I use them interchangeably. I think right. I, I have like sort of a fun, loose idea about gender that it should be a little more playful. I, I think we've like kind of let it become. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. But I have a personal interest in talking to you about this stuff because I grapple with this even in the name of the show, you know, and I grapple mm. with it with the mission of the show, because I, too, would like to see gender erased as a prefix to whatever it is that we do. A female DJ, she's a great female DJ or she's a great female guitarist or whatever. And, you know, in this moment where I feel like we're getting more and more expansive with gender, where does that leave feminism? At the same time, I'm finding that people still come onto the show and feel so relieved because most of the people that they talk to still are male journalists and we still do live in a patriarchy and in a male dominated world and music is still male dominated. This white male hetero dominated. Yeah. So this is me saying to you, I don't have an answer, but 
I am interested to know what your thoughts are on all of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's a place for everything. It's like, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I think conversations like this are important. I guess more of what I'm trying to get at is like, if it's too much of one thing, then it becomes limiting. And, you know, there's plenty of space for everyone. There's plenty of space for all different types of people. And we just need to create the space. So I think what you're doing is great because you're creating a space for people to talk about this. And if there was nothing like that, it would be, you know, just sort of an empty void. So I think it is important. And I think it's also important to just, we should just be talking about everything. Like, (laughs) I, I think, I think that's great. You know, so long as it doesn't become like the anxiety loop that you're talking about, like where we get stuck, we get stuck in a loop. I think it's important to identify that there are still minorities that don't have the privileges and advantages that the majority does. And that's important to recognize. But it's also important to make sure that any minority isn't stamped like with the scarlet letter that you're a minority and, you know, you're like second tier and you'll always be that way. You know, it's like, I think it's important, all the different waves of feminist thought and whatever the next one is, I think it'll be just as important as the last. And you know, no one has to believe one thing. Would you still consider yourself a feminist? Yeah. I mean, like, it doesn't like make me squeamish. Like, it doesn't bother me. I don't. Yeah. I think that like what it's called is so beyond the point. But when it comes to making things, I think what is most important to me is just the comfort that I feel around certain types of people. And I just feel comfortable with other women or non-binary people, I will always kind of have that comfort just because we are kind of on the same level. Like societally, we are seen as equals. And in the recording studio, that's actually, you know, it has been a problem in the past where I'll go into a session and be like, uh, I'll talk to the managers and it happened, you know, it happens. It doesn't stop happening. You know, I'll have talked to someone's manager and be like, I'm producing this record. I, you know, I really want to track at your artist studio and they'll be like, well, this sounds like production to me. And I'm like, um, okay. If you really need to call it that, like, sure. And I think there will always kind of be that like, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to make sure that my name is stamped on it. And I do think that that is still more prevalent with male artists and in every sense of the process. But, you know, I do think it's like getting better just having more people making things like more different types of people making things and seeing that it's not that hard. Like you can start pretty simply in your house. A lot of the best records, man, they're like so lo-fi and, you know, made on like an eight track cassette player. It doesn't really matter. You can make cool stuff with anything, I think. But, you know, we do what we can. But I do think that idea of comfort, especially in the studio, the studio kind of morphs to whatever you make it. It's sort mm-hmm. of like a an empty vessel, a blank canvas that you can then paint in any way that you want. And to me, it's always such an emotional time that like if I feel like I'm on the clock or somebody is like making it, oh, you know, strict schedule, we're on the clock, money's being spent, money is like blasting away. I'm like, no, I'd rather just be alone in the studio. And that's 
kind of what happened. Like there were three chapters to making this record that I kind of had from the very beginning. I was like, okay, the first chapter is going to be me in my own studio and I'll just do the majority of the basic level tracks on my own. And then I went to Betty's and that was when Allie, she's the house engineer there, is really great. She kind of set me up and set up all the mics, like got levels and then just left me alone. And it was awesome because I, I could experiment and I had all this time. And then the last level was taking all that audio. I tracked drums in a different studio. This guy, John Joseph, who's really, he has like some amazing drum sounds. I'm so impressed by him. But yeah, we did a bunch of overdubbing there and drums and then manipulating the audio. So I had all this audio and it was like, okay, now let's experiment with it. So there's just sort of these different processes. And each time I'm in the studio, it's like a different experience. Like I'm either alone, I'm with other people collaborating. And that to me is harder because you got to make sure the energy's right, if that makes sense. Do you want to point us to a song on the album that you feel really proud of from a production standpoint? Oh, man. Well, I'm proud of all of them. Sure. Which is funny for me to say is I'm usually like the first person to tear apart my work. Um, <laughs> that looks this, great. That's progress. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's because the, the making of it was so pure in, in so many ways. Also, I have to shout out Beatrice, who's who's kind of my like right hand man on this whole project, because I would send her these tracks and... Oh, she's such a great artist. I love her work. I think she's brilliant. And she has such a great way of, you could be like, I want it to feel more like a wispy cloud that's passing through in a breeze. And she'll be like, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And come back and just nail it. I'm like, well, hell yeah. So she was kind of a huge part of the process, putting it all together and, and really bringing out every last drop of emotion in these songs. So let's play Miami. This was another song that happened really fast, but I really like the way that it turned out because I think Beatrice brought a lot of it out in the mix. I'm really happy about it. This is the That's Miami and where we get the title of the album, The Art of Forgetting. Caroline Rose here with us on She Rose. I love that song and I love that it's so openly queer. And I wondered what that journey has been like for you as an artist. I don't think you've ever really shied away from identifying as queer, but do you feel like you've become more and more comfortable being out in your songs? Yeah, you know, I feel like I've been out as long as I can remember, but there were definitely, like when I first started my career, it was a lot scarier. And, you know, to be honest, it's still kind of scary at times. Like this level of being intimate in the public is very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. And I don't know. I You know, I love being on stage and I love entertaining. I think I have like a natural knack for it. But I also really love being, my friends call this side of me Shadow Carol, because I just love, you know, being the one at the party that's like in the dark corner. And when I'm on a stage, I really don't like attention. And 
So it's always kind of hard for me, I think. And I wish I was one of those people that was like so confident in every single thing that I do. Like, but I think like I had kind of like a difficult coming out process and it sort of traumatized me for a long time. It was just difficult. And Mm. I also grew up in the church. I think that sort of messed me up for many years. So it's like as proud as I am and as open as I am, there will always be a little piece of me that's just like, trying to protect myself at all costs. Like, don't do that. Don't say that. Get back in the shadow and like protect yourself because they're coming for you, you know? Right. (laughs) I think there's like always that little bit of fear, but you know, that fear is also irrational when you actually think about it. So, but it's real for you. So I think it's valid, you know, totally. There's a balance. I'm a Libra, so I'm all about the balance. <laughs> I was going to ask you what your sign was. <laughs> I was like, she's either a Gemini or she's a Libra. Both my parents are Geminis. Yeah, so I was raised by Geminis. I don't really know much about you, like, before you became you, the musician. Like, where did you and music meet up when you were a kid? How did you get going? Um, Music was sort of just always around in the house. I, you know, both my parents are artists. What kind of artists? uh, Visual artists. Mm. Yeah. Both my parents, but mostly my dad made book covers for many, many years. And before that, you know, he made sculptures and paintings and all sorts of stuff. But both my parents are really talented artists and my biggest critics, especially my dad. He's like ruthless sometimes. (laughs) But yeah, it was just sort of always just a creative energy was always around. Mm -hmm. And I have a my fake uncle, my funkle, my funkle Randy would come and he'd always show up in the house. He'd look totally different every time. He would have like leopard print hair. And then the next time it'd be like silver and he'd have like a silver goatee and then it'd be like purple and long. Uh, And he would always come with a different instrument. He was always kind of like finding stuff at pawn shops. And he was the one that gave me my first guitar and my first harmonica, my first melodica. And there was always a piano in the house. My mom, she sort of forced us to take piano lessons, which I hated because I hated the homework. But it's funny because the muscle memory is still in my hands. Picking it up so many years later, I was like, wow, so glad she did that. Yeah. And I didn't really start writing songs until I was probably like 13. And, you know, that's around puberty and you're just like... Your brain's about to explode with thoughts and you're like, why am I in so much pain? So that was like really my first connection to writing music was when I didn't know what else to do with all my emotional energy. And when I discovered this outlet, it was like a miracle for me. And I guess, you know, that's partly why when I was making this record, it felt so much like that because it was like, wow, I have to get this out somehow. And it's like a way to channel how you're feeling. And I think people have all sorts of different ways that they channel things. But when you connect with something, it does feel like a special gift that you're given. So that's kind of where it started for me. You definitely have a gift, Caroline Rose. Thank you so much for being here. It's been really fun. You want to pick a song to go out with today? Dealer's um, Choice. Um, I think maybe like Tell Me What You Want sounds nice. This is a classic breakup song. When you're just so frustrated and... You want to beat your head against a brick wall. But there's kind of an interesting history with this song because I had written it and I played it for my parents and my dad just tore it up. He was like, this isn't even close to your best material. Uh, I think he called it low hanging fruit. And I was like, ouch. 
And so I rewrote it and then sent it again. And then my dad was like, it's a little bit better, but it's still not as good as your other songs. And I was like, okay. And then I rewrote it again. And each time it was like, I was getting going deeper into how I felt until it finally felt like a full on catharsis. It was like full on just release of pent up emotional energy. And that's what the song that ended up on the album. It went through three different iterations until I got it right. And my dad was right, you know, unfortunately he's right about most of his critiques. <laughs> oh, tragic. Rose, thanks again for being here on Shiro's. Congratulations on the art of forgetting. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Many thanks once again to Caroline Rose for being with us. The Art of Forgetting is out now on New West Records. Don't miss Caroline Rose on their big tour starting in March and enter to win tickets from us by calling 833-MY-SHIRO. That's 833-MY-SHIRO before January 12th. And tell us what show you want to see. I'll draw 10 winners at random on January 15th. All the details at SheRoseRadio.com. SheRose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. SheRose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the SheRose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at SheRose Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>